This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and Stevens Point and people all over the world are watching us online, and for the hundreds of you who are hunkered down in your basements. <clears throat> and let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us here this morning. Uh, <clears throat> President Trump has uh, declared today to be a day of prayer in the face of this thing that is happening. There are those who think uh, it's a major overreaction, as I do, uh, and there are those who are convinced hundreds of thousands will die Directly from this, we shall see. In any event, we choose to trust in God. People says, yeah. Somebody said, well, what if you die trusting in God? Do you want to die not trusting in God? Uh, so we're going to offer up some prayers just a minute. Um, and uh, at the end of the service, we are going to be anointing people. Uh, with oil and speaking uh, healing grace over you. Uh, what's this for? We're trusting and praying that God will protect you, that you won't get this in the first place. If you do get it, that it will not be life-threatening to you. And if it is life-threatening to you, that you go in God's peace and grace. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. So now I have almost 300,000 people on my Facebook pages, social media pages all over the world mostly in this country, and I uh, sent out a thing yesterday asking if you know of someone who has this uh, to please uh, give us their name, and of all that, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight names from around the world, so good thing I didn't ask for flus or there'd be pages of this, so as of yet, it's still not nearly as big as some fear. Where it started, it has already began to decline. Hopefully, this thing will peak quickly and be done with. Dear Lord, we pray. Anyway, either way, our hope and our trust is in the Lord. And I said, if you know someone's name, we're going to pray for them. 
as the president has asked us to pray. And we're going to pray right now. We're going to offer up these names to, uh, for those who offer them up and trust God to intervene in their lives. Father, we are so grateful that we can put our hope and trust in you. Lord, you never promised we wouldn't have trouble, but that in the midst of our trouble, you would save us and you would be there for us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would protect us. We pray for our nation. Oh, Lord God, by your grace and your mercy, forgive our nation of our sins. And Lord, and that this uh, threat would pass quickly. We pray for these, Lord, who are being offered up, who have already contract contracted this thing, for Mandy Ruth, for April in Georgia, Lord Bailey, Giuseppe in Italy, who's really struggling at this time, for Helen and Sandy and Connor and Sarah. These names we offer to you, Lord, for your healing grace and touch over them. And Lord, we are grateful that we can come to you, cast our cares upon you, because you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Uh, we did have a young man pass away this week, not of the coronavirus. Uh, he was killed in a car wreck. You know, uh, people die. It, it's just the reality of, I hate to tell you this, but y'all are going to die, all y'all. Now, hopefully, you make it a very, very long and full life. Certainly, that's what I'm hoping for. I pray I'll be here for decades to irritate the whole lot of you. <coughs> but uh, that's in God's hands. Uh, but what's sad is when they are taken early. Derek, if you knew him, was a sweet, sweet young man in our church, a tender heart, very involved, volunteering all the time. His family is a great blessing to us. He was 24 years of age. Um, uh, he uh, passed away. He was struck in a car accident. Um, they think possibly he was on some meds that had a hard time keeping awake, that perhaps he had fallen asleep, ran through a stop sign, boom, and killed instantly. So quick, it's not even humanly possible to have felt any pain whatsoever. And when you go that fast, boom, you're just gone. I'm sure he just suddenly woke up in heaven and was greeted by my Debbie, who also knew him well, and asking, what are you doing here? He says, I don't know. I was driving. I don't know what's going on. So, uh, uh, but I'm sure they're in a wonderful place. Derek was such a sweet kid. You know, I was thinking of him the day before the accident uh, because all this thing about washing your hands and stuff, for those of you who knew Derek, you know, now in the men's room, unlike the women's room, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> try, try to avoid eye contact, for heaven's sakes. In and out, you know what I'm saying? But Derek, whenever Derek would go in, before he'd leave, he would wash his hands. And when Derek washed his hands, it was like he was in surgery, going in for surgery. <laughs> I'm not kidding. His family all knows it. We were laughing about it the other day. I mean, he'd be scrubbing down, lathered up. I'm thinking, man, this guy could cut you open. <laughs> and you wouldn't catch a thing from him. And, uh, and I remember thinking, I said, well, he's safe from this, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then the next morning, six he got killed at 6 o'clock in the morning. I remember popping awake at 6 a.m. Looked at my clock, it was 6 a.m. I never pop awake at 6 a.m. because uh, I can barely pop awake before noon. So, uh, and, and boy, all of a sudden, you know, he was gone. Uh, but, and we will pray for grace over his family, sweet people, the Hallams. Uh, the funeral is tomorrow. Visitation will take place here at the church from 3 to 6, and then at 6 will be the funeral service. So if you can make it, uh, I'm sure they would appreciate that. Um, and then uh, this morning we have a uh, feller by the name of Andy Williams, a local attorney. Where are you at, Andy? Is he still in here? 
There he is in the back. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Andy is a local attorney who is running for Brown County Judge. He has a table out there. Would love to meet you. Probably may not want to shake his hands considering the present circumstances, but he would like to meet you and uh, tell you what he's doing. He says, why is he here? Why isn't his opponent here? Because his opponent didn't ask. If you have anyone you want to come, just tell them. All they got to do is ask. Bring it on. There's a few of them I'd like to talk to personally. <laughs> and probably why they don't ask. But, uh, uh, but Andy's here, great guy, so I'll get a chance to meet him and his gang out there. Um, today is the third Sunday in Lent. As we know, we are now in the Lenten season. This is the preparation up to our big celebration on Easter Sunday. Lent, the word Lent actually means spring, and just like we come out of winter into spring, and there's actually hints of that around here, though I'm expecting 12 feet of snow before it's over with, you know, it's, they always mess with us here with the winter. But uh, uh, it's time of spring, so new life out of death. Now, I should be, I suppose, preaching on fear, but I refuse, all right? Not only do I not want to be afraid, I ain't even talking about fear. So I'm going to keep preaching about what I had already planned to preach about from the beginning. Today we're going to talk about living water. Now, we want to pick it up in the Old Testament reading from Exodus, the 17th chapter, verses 1 through 7. Now, this is the uh, account of the children of Israel. They have come out of Egypt. They're now wandering in the desert, uh, supposedly on their way to the promised land. They got delayed because they were such a problem. But anyway, we read uh, from the wilderness of seeing the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. And they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And I just want to point out, we, we talked about this last week as well. They were complaining about food and stuff like that. Uh, I truly believe that their need was legitimate. I'm sure they were thirsty. And they drug him out into the middle of nowhere. There is no water. And they had a legitimate need. The problem was they immediately would whine and complain and not be in a place of faith. These people have just been brought out of Egypt. They are seeing miracles and have seen miracles at a level that you and I will never see in our lives, all of our lives together. They saw stuff that is just amazing as how God miraculously brought them out of Egypt and taken them to the promised land. And despite witnessing all of that, they could never trust in God. And all they would do is whine and complain. So they come to Moses, instead of tr trusting God, saying, hey, look, God's taking care of us. He'll continue to take care of us, you know. And, and by the way, you know, I've, I've said this many times to you over the years, you know, trust God for little things in your life. You got a little need, trust him. You got a problem, trust it. Your cat doesn't feel good, pray for your cat. Do everything, little tiny things. See if God starts showing up, because he will start showing up. And when it does, it builds your faith. And you feel like you're starting to experience more and more things, you know? As soon as you got an owie, you know, pray about your owies and your pains and stuff. Trust God. See what he will do. It will build your faith. The people I always feel the most sorry for, and this is really being amplified today, are the people who their entire lives have never had to experience or trust God for anything. And then a major scare happens like what's going on today, and they collapse like a deck of cards huddled in their basements watching me right now. No judgment, but y'all crazy. 
But anyway, <laughs> I love you. You know I love you. Anyway, so, you know, but they freak. The people just freak and panic when things come in their eyes because they've never had to trust God. Those are the people I always feel sorry for. You come to me with a problem, you know, let's trust God for the problem. But to live your whole life and then all of a sudden you have something major and you just freak. I just feel sad for these people. So let me encourage you. In the midst of all this, trust God in your life throughout all the different challenges and stuff that you experience because the more prayers that you experience answered, the greater your faith grows. The greater your faith, the more prayers get answered. It's just the way that it works. So anyway, these people are not trusting God despite what they've seen. Uh, they go to Moses, where's the water? Moses says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? These are the people who for 400 years were praying, God, get us out of Egypt. Get us out of Egypt and all they do is whine. You brought us out here to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go ahead of the people. Take some of the elders of, elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And it did. Just water comes pouring out. I mean, that was an amazing sight. And even after that, the next time things got uncomfortable, they whined. And God would answer the prayer. And then the next thing, they would whine. It, it never stopped. Man, you got walk, come, rock, water coming out of a rock. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm feeling safe. We're good. You know what I'm saying? These people were clueless. They just couldn't get it. And Moses calls the, called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? The psalmist warns uh, them later in Psalm 95, verses 8 through 10, do not harden your hearts as they did at Meribah and as, uh, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, reminding them of that event, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts grow astray and have not known my ways. So the situation here is talking about how God provided the water, provided for them, no matter what. And of course, the analogy I want to bring into this is our need for spiritual water to quench the thirsting of our souls. Now, we're going to read from the New Testament. Last week, we talked about this idea where Jesus said about being born again. What does that mean? I pointed out that we are made in the image of God, God a triune being, but just one. We are also triune beings. We have a body, a soul, intellect, well, most of us. And then we have a spirit. Three parts make one. The problem is because of sin, every single person born into the world is born spiritually stillborn. I see a gorgeous little baby here in the second row. He's hanging out, making weird noises. And, uh, and even that sweet little soul, born spiritually stillborn. It happens to everybody. And that's why people can sense something isn't quite right. What's wrong? What's wrong? That's why people pop, that's why religions pop up all over the world. Why? People are trying to find out, how do I fix this? And they're trying to do it through their own philosophies and ideas. People think, well, if I just got enough money, it'll fix it. It doesn't fix it. Uh, people, if I get enough education, it'll fix it. It doesn't fix it. And boy, if there's one thing that we are seeing today, it doesn't matter how much money you got, how much education you got, how famous you are, everybody is freaking out over this deal. Because at the end of the day, we're all mortal. We're all mortal. I think, you know, we get arrogant. I think nations get arrogant, and God just looks and just shakes his head. I think those bunch of little snots. 
one bug goes around and everybody is screaming bloody murder and there's nothing anybody can do except hide you know and hopefully people are using this opportunity to do a reevaluation of their own lives Jesus said the only thing that can fix this is for to come to him in faith and he speaks new life into you and your spirit is now born. You become an entire person, really for the first time. You're born again. There's a wholeness. There's a completeness that happens in your life. And the other analogy he talked, he gave several analogies. And one is about this idea of thirst. Our soul's thirst for something. Something's missing. Jesus says, I am the water that will quench that thirst. We read about it in John, the fourth chapter. Starting in verse 5. So Jesus comes to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. Uh, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to Costco to get uh, <laughs> stood in line for six hours for toilet paper. And I, I don't know. The last thing I think about is the needs of my butt <laughs> when I'm staring death in the face. I, I just don't understand this. I, I don't, what is that? that they stood in line, right? From one end of Costco all the way across the building to the other end, stacked mostly with toilet paper. Anyway, the guys, they're at Costco buying stuff. And so Jesus is there by himself. And, uh, and uh, the, so he, when the Samaritan woman came to draw, uh, Jesus said, well, give me a drink. Well, the Samaritan said to him, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans were creepy. They were a disgusting group as far as the Jews were concerned because they were Jews. Remember, the Israelites were 12 tribes. Only two of them kept anywhere close to being right. The other tw 10 we're in the northern area, area of Samaria. They totally violated all of God's rules and everything else. So they were just one big fat mess. Uh, they had intermarried with other nations that they weren't supposed to do. Jews, true Jews considered the Samaritans just a bunch of half-breeds. They did not like them. They wouldn't have anything to do with them. And this woman knew it. And she right away recognized Jesus as a Jew because the way they dress. You're a Jew. What are you doing talking to me? Now, I want you to think a little bit about this lady. This is often portrayed as this is a woman who is living in shame and broken. And I've heard a million sermons on this. The reason she came at noon is because she didn't want to be seen in public. I don't think any of that is accurate at all. This is not a broken woman like the woman caught in adultery hiding in a corner. This is a confident, brazen woman. She's not afraid of anything. And we're going to see in a little bit, she also had great influence in her city. When she came back to tell people that she had talked to this guy named Jesus, the whole city listened to her. There are people who have influence in the world. Uh, they, she wasn't hiding. It wasn't everybody said, oh, don't listen to her. They all listened to her. Why? I think she was a major player in the city. And we're going to find out in a minute. Here's a woman who's had five husbands. Five. Now, who in the world lines up after that bunch of people? And now she's living with the sixth guy. Hadn't even bothered to marry him yet. So either she was very wealthy, which is highly unlikely because in those days they had, women had no rights to money or property or anything. Their only other thing going for her, she was probably a super babe. She's probably super hot. What do you get? 
six guys lining up one after another, you're one good-looking chick, all right? So she was probably popular. She was probably the center of attention. La, 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 la. And everybody liked her. They oh, check out here. And, and, you know, I don't know what happened to the first five guys, if they just divorced or if she killed them all with poison mushrooms. I don't know. Who knows what happened to them? But a six guys already in the queue right away. This, there's no way people get that many people willing to commit their lives to you if you are not, <coughs> holy cow, all right? So this is probably a dynamic woman. So this is not the picture that most preachers preach about. I think they just flat out got this wrong. Jesus talks to her, and she looks at him and says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. What are you asking me for? She's brazen. She's confident. She's not hiding in a typical culture like that, if a stranger were to talk to a woman, she'd turn away and not even respond. She didn't have any problem. Looks right at her, at him. And Jesus said, look, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you for the drink, you would ask of him and he would have given you living water. Well, she just keeps it out. She says, you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? What are you talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He was. <laughs> who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, look, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, which is the point of today's message, will never thirst. He can satisfy the thirsting of your soul. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then she says, well, sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming to this well to draw water. And Jesus looks at her, and again, she, again, she's just brazen, you know, what are you looking at? Why are you talking to me? And then she, she says, hey, give me some of that water, then I have to come here. And she says, okay, well, uh, go, go call your husband and come back. And she goes, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is even not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. This, immediately, he reads her mail. He knows exactly who she is and knows her history. She's impressed, but she's not intimidated in the least. She then gets into a religious debate with him about how to worship and where to worship. We'll skip over that. But then she boils it down to verse 25. She says, look, I know the Messiah called the Christ. He's coming. When he comes, he'll explain all this to us. And then Jesus does something which he doesn't really do hardly for anyone. In fact, he actually went out of his way to make sure people didn't know who he was. But in this case, Jesus says to her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. He flat out says, I am the Messiah in this interaction. Well, just then, his disciples get back from Costco, and, uh, and, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And, and not just a Samaritan, just a woman in general. This is a culture, this isn't like today. Men and women didn't have much interactions, you know. They stayed away from each other, especially in this very super religious culture from the Jewish culture. They're surprised he's even talking to him, much less a Samaritan woman. But nobody asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because at this point, the disciples got the clue, just don't ask, all right? Now, people don't understand this about Jesus. You see all these new movies of Jesus, he's just, you know, going around. Jesus was no, you know, wuss. He was very strong and intense. He was a man's man, and they all knew it. Compassionate like no one had ever seen, like in this situation. 
But he wasn't just this. They, the Bible says the disciples got to the point they were afraid to ask him any questions. Ask yourself, how intense would you have to be before people are afraid to talk to you? That was Jesus. He wasn't this little floating around on tiptoes kind of person. He was intense. You ask him. I ain't asking him nothing. You ask him. He yelled at me the last time I said so. I mean, they, he was intense. So they don't even bother to say, what's going on? They say, oh, who knows? Then leaving her water jar, the woman goes back into town and said to the people, and they all listened to her. She had to be a woman of influence. Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? If she would have been a dejected person that everybody looked down to, no one would have listened to her. That's what I'm telling you. This is not the kind of woman that she's been portrayed to over the, over the decades that we've been talking about this since I've been around. This is a confident woman, a woman of influence, probably a very attractive woman. She said, man, could this guy be the Messiah? So they all came out of the town. The whole town goes to see him. How do you get, man, you can't get a town to do anything today. <laughs> but here they all come. And it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed two days. Again, these are Samaritans. Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus camping out for two days with these people. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I'm going to ask our ushers now to go sanitize your hands before you touch all the communion stuff, all right? We're not stupid. We're just not afraid. All right. Most of us are not stupid, but we're not afraid. All right. Got to include everybody here. Okay, so here we are talking about this life, this living water that Jesus makes possible. We are now going to enter our time of communion where we're going to turn our attention to what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And before he went on the cross, he said, this is my body. He came to his disciples, this is my body. This is my blood. And, uh, and we're about to reflect on that now. And we're going to pray, Lord, make this to us, your body and blood. Now, people sometimes get into religious theological debates. Well, is this literally the body or blood? Is this, there's a fancy word for it called, what is the word? I forgot the word. Transubstantiation. Is this, I don't think that when Jesus handed the bread to his disciples and said, this is my body, that they said, so we talking transubstantiation here? What are we talking? I don't think they asked any questions. They just did it. So that's what we're going to do. People say, what does it mean? I don't know. Whatever it is, is what it is. And that's why we do it. He said to do it. We don't have to be always scientific in every little thing that we do. For us, this is the body, this is the blood of Christ. We are identifying with Jesus on that cross when we do this. His body was broken for us so we could be whole. His blood was shed so we could experience the forgiveness of sins. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church, said this then, before you take communion, this is what he wrote, he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. What does that mean? Reflect. Where, where am I at with God in my life right now? So I want all of you to bow your heads, and, and I'm going to pray a prayer over all of us, a prayer of forgiveness, just kind of a reset. Wherever you're at this week, after this last week, uh, before we do this, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, in thought, word, deed, maybe something we've done that we shouldn't have done, maybe something that we didn't do that we should have done, 
If we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, if we said things we shouldn't say, Lord, for the sake of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive all of us for our sins, strengthening us in all goodness, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And as every head is still bowed and we're in an attitude of prayer, maybe you're here this morning and you've never really asked Christ into your life. You've never been born again. You're not really complete like you should be. Or maybe you realize there is a thirsting in your soul and you would like to quench that thirst. I'm going to encourage you right now, just quietly in your own words, ask Jesus to forgive you and invite him to come into your life. 